Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores. Oh, I'm a little bit full from Christmas Day, just quietly. Will Dale, are you still stuffed? Oh, I, I, I had a pretty moderate approach, actually. It was all delicious food, but I paced myself and spread it out over two days. You sound mature and smart. What is wrong with you? I just turned 38. Oh, boy. You are over the hill and yeah. far away and far away. If you're 38, I feel very old. Hey, everyone, welcome along. We thought we'd squeeze one more pod in before we park 2023 and put in the rearview mirror. This is our last podcast of the year. It's the last of our fifth year of the V8 Sleuth podcast. Can you believe it? They've been letting us do this for five <laughs> years. People are listening. People are sponsoring. We're still going. I know. It's astonishing. It's fantastic. Like, who would have thought however many years ago that there'd be something like this for fans like us who love the history of the sport? When we grew up, podcasts were not a thing, but they Why are not? very much now a thing. Every, it's a bit of a running joke. Everyone's got a podcast these days, but I'd like to think that we've got the special audience who love the stuff that we love. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in again this year. We've had over 300,000 individual listeners over the course of this calendar year and three quarters of a million downloads of this podcast, which is pretty cool. Not just the V8 Sleuth pod, but, of course, the Repco Supercars weekly episodes as well, which has been another part of our world. We brought the Race Control um, podcast in for the last few rounds of Supercars with Craig Baird, which was fantastic as well. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, not just for this ep, but for all eps that we've done Q&A, because if we bring the A's, you have to bring the Q's. Questions need answers, and answers need questions. So shall we start the bowling? I think we shall. Well, we'll start with an Aaron, not me. Um, Aaron DeLuca says, love the pod, guys, long-time listener. That gets you to the top of the batting order. Very smart, Aaron. What are your favourite liveries from each decade, 80s, 90s, and noughties? My all-time faves are the Perkins and Ingle liveries from 1999. Oh, yeah, the black and the silver. It was a, silver that's bullet. a good combo. SLX. Yeah. Yep. What are you going for? Oh, 80s. Hard to go past. Green's tough. Mm, I, mean, I know it's I know it's simple. Like it is essentially a base color with text, white text on top, but like it's impossible to miss. It was an era for simple liveries, wasn't it? Mm. With one dominant big sponsor, few little ones. So yeah. I'm Brock eighty seven. That's a good call. White the the latter one on the VL. Yeah. 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 No, not the VK they started the year with, which is basically the eighty six car with the words Holden Dealer team ripped off it yes. everywhere. It was sort of how they'd left Wellington uh, or Pukekohe in early 87. 90s, uh, it's a bit of a tougher one. It's a bit of a tougher one. Um, the Castrol Cougars car has got to get a, a mention. That was a good livery. Just, just something a bit different. But I've got to tell you, actually, Aaron's alerted me by nominating Perkins Ingle. It's the livery that never was. Mm -hmm. I've got it in my head that there was a photo, might have been a press shot, definitely didn't race, of a zipper liveried Castrol car where half of it was the silver bullet and half of it was Larry's 
regular livery yeah, right. at the time. I reckon it was in a magazine. That feels like a 1999 thing in response to the BAR Correct. split livery That's in what Formula it was 1. a bit inspired by the, uh, what was it, Lucky Strike, Lucky Strike and, and Triple, Triple Five. Five. Yeah, exactly. So uh, 2000s? Oh, ooh, 2000s. Um, in terms of liveries, I actually quite like the better electrical ones. Yeah. On the triple eight cars, not the not the ones that had silver, but that first um, the first triple eight one in 04 where it was the dark blue and the yellow. That's big right. fan of that. Yeah. Um, also the the sh- last shell livery that was on the DJR Falcons. Oh four. Oh three oh four with mm. a big pectin as part of the design. Mm. I, I really can't come up with something for the naughties. So many different cars, so many different teams, so many different liveries. Can I throw um, one in from the nineties? It just sneaks in. Um, actually, it kind of borders the 80s as well. Ka- Colin Bond's Caltech Sierra, the one that had the white star on the side and a bit of white on the back of it. The 1990 car? Yeah, the one he won two races in the Touring Car Championship That's with. That's right, on the Toyo tyres. Exactly. Oh. He well, was sponsored by Toyo. They Toyo weren't Toyo tyres. Tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's why I said it. it's in my mental bank is there was a reason about that. Justin Olden, how do car numbers work in supercars today? Are they allocated to the TRC or can teams choose any number providing it's not being used? Well, technically it's yes on both counts. So it is. it, it does go with the TRC. So, when, so if one is sold or transferred, you can just keep the number that's attached to it. Which TRC is the team's racing charter, which is what a franchise used to be. Yeah, or yeah. a rec. Yep. Um, racing entitlements contract. For yes. That. Motorsport is such a sport of acronyms. If you don't <laughs> so, know your acronyms, you're kind of stuffed in motor racing. So if, if you happen to also be a listener to the Castrol Motorsport News Pod, you might have noticed that that when we had Greg Murphy on for our little bonus episode at the end of the year, completely threw me when he referred to, to it as the CT Frock series is that the castrol toyota formula regional oceanic championship that is the one yeah, yeah. it's quicker to say i've got yeah. to tell you it, it, it saves time it is longer than trs yeah that was but, way yeah, easier can't call it that anymore no no true ty david oh geez davidovsky davidovsky how close were bmw from entering the m3 gdr at bathurst for the 2004 bathurst 24 hour now of course that race didn't happen. It was canned um, in the lead up. But from my memory, and I think you did a website story on this, it was so close, like they were coming until the race wasn't going to be on. Correct. So they were fully entered. Uh, Andy Prio talked to Motorsport News back in 2008 and revealed the fact that, yep, factory BMW squad was coming with one of those amazing V8 engined M3s. They were really in love with the idea. Marketing was on board. It, it was Goa. It was a thing that was going to happen. And, of course, the race didn't. So it didn't. Probably one of those with a full factory lineup of drivers. That would have given a Monaro with a bunch of Holden stars a run for its money. Oh, yes. Yeah, hour, yeah. Sure. I don't think it would have been a um, cruise to the last 15 minutes and then no. Gary says you can race sort no. of affair. Gary would not have been making such radio calls that following year. I would highly doubt. Mm. Highly doubt. Next question from Jaden Merchant. Love the show. Not sure if this one's been asked, but I've always noticed on Mark Scaife's race suits, his name followed by the letters AB+. What was that for? Massive fan of Alan Border. (laughs) From someone from the central coast of New South Wales, that seems unlikely. Well, you know, AB was from New South Wales to begin with. Ah, but a proud Queenslander. I know, he's been there more often than he's not. Um, It's blood type, Mm. which really used to be a thing that... You'd see on a lot of race drivers' suits in the early years, it's not really a common thing anymore. Because it was an easy way if you got taken to the hospital 
to um, advise yeah. all the medical staff of what your blood type was. So, and, and of course, these days too, for like championships like supercars, the drivers' medical records and blood types would all be kept on file because there is, in essence, a travelling circus rather mm. than different people at different rounds in different countries in different tracks. So, yeah, um, kind of right. makes sense because, of course, if a driver's in serious need of, of, of transfusion or blood hmm. or whatever's required, it's a quick, easy way while they're right there to know what they are. Yeah, and it wasn't just blood types. I mean, if you look at photos of Dick Johnson's race suits over the years, it also lists his allergy to penicillin. Yeah. So essentially anything that was really significant that medical people would want to know. Yep, yep. So that's exactly what it is, Jaden. Um, I'm getting all the tough surnames today, but Josh, You're welcome. Josh Shemansky, is it? I, I, I reckon so. That's how I would have I'll, said it. I'll call that. Can we call this current gen of cars a fail? I mean, it's a bit early. It's, it's one very year. early. It, it hasn't been, been a stellar year. It's been rough, but if you're going to make a big call on anything, you need a sample size. No different to doing stats and data. Mm. You need a sample size to be able to make a judgment from. Right now, this is not a big enough sample size. No. I'll, one thing that when I saw these cars on track racing for the first time in person, that was a big tick for mine. Looks, like, sounds. They looked good on track. Yep. Watching them through that final sweeper heading back towards the start-finish line at Albert Park, watching them moving around, watching a bit of attitude on them, I mean, that was good to see. We did have a bit of that in Gen 2, but they were much faster and didn't rely on as much mechanical grip. So it was good to see that. I reckon that's a big tick. And I reckon with a bit of time, once all the bugs that have presented themselves in year one, we shouldn't have a pretty pretty good race car. I mean, you think of all the issues that Car of the Future had to begin with. Yeah, I think people have forgotten stuff from 10 years ago and from previous generations as well. Mm. So, yes, by no means am I saying that it's perfect and it's all wonderful. It's definitely not. But uh, let's sit here and have that discussion after year three or four. It's probably a bit more of a relevant one. Todd Workman, moving the Tassie round to winter, is it a plan to get rid of us off the calendar? No, I don't see it as that. Like here's something that's not been widely discussed. I think I've mentioned this somewhere recently, but the movement of Tassie, which is going to August next year, which is I think at the second time ever. Yeah, 1999 being the other time. Was the last time, and of course it pelted down. Um, from my understanding and my discussions with various people, this is the Tasmanian government who wanted this date. Now, I don't know if it's to keep it away from other events that are on the Tasmanian sporting and social calendar. I'm not quite sure of the reasoning, but it's my understanding that this has been led. I think supercars are copping a whack for this quite unfairly because it sounds like it's the Tassie government who want to put it there. Not It wasn't driven by supercars. Which makes sense. You look at what um, other government-supported events do. They, they're on at times of the year where... They want to boost local tourism, and I can only imagine that winter's probably a quiet time in Tasmania owing to the conditions, so that would be a logical thing. And I, I could understand al- that. And I always think, and it's happened in previous years, where supercars are on at Simmons Plains the same weekend that Hawthorne is playing a game in Launceston. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't make sense to have them on the same week. If I'm Tasmanian, no. clearly they're contributing government funding to both. It doesn't make sense to have them both on the same weekend where possible you try to split them up, I would have thought. Hmm. Uh, Matt Haywood, does it annoy you? Yes, it does. You don't even know what it is yet, Aaron. Yes, but I know where it's going. 
when a restoration's done and something about delivery isn't quite right, yep. or it's a slightly different model car, for example, they've left it as a VZ Commodore instead mm-hmm. of going back to VY, he says the Ambrose BA Falcon Resto looks fantastic, but the decal or decal, depending on which side of the fence you're from, on the front guards above each headlight is slightly different, and it annoys me every time I see it. Yes, it annoys me about that stuff too. Yeah, I I just I struggle with that sort of thing. It's... Um I, I don't want to nitpick and name cars because go that feels well. It just it seems Come cruel on. to the. It's the to last the one of the owners. year. Let's go out oh, with a bang. Okay, so the Techno 2016 Bathurst winner mm-hmm. feels like it's the wrong shade of orange. Yeah, I have had that thought too when I've seen that car. I, I thought it was just with photos, but having day. seen it in person, it, I'm happy to be proven wrong by by the it numbers. Feels a bit dark. Yeah, it just feels a bit dark. Um, yeah. There are various cars getting around with the wrong era Castrol logo. Yeah. Um, which is a personal um, – favourite's the wrong word, but, yeah, that, that one always that's grinds a, that's my gears. That's an old faithful one yep, that pops yep, up. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cars with the wrong number font mm-hmm. also bothers mm-hmm. me. I mean, in some cases – And the wrong name font on the windows. And the wrong name font, yep. I mean, Sometimes fo- it's excusable where it's a, essentially a bespoke font and it's not like Helvetica or whatever they mm. have to use now. But yeah, all those things really bother. It, when you go, when uh, in a lot of the cases, a lot of time, effort, and money's gone into the mechanical side of the restoration. It's often the last, it's the most visual part of it. And when you put a photo of the restored car into a website story or somewhere on socials alongside a photo, like a period photo mm. of back in the day in X year, X situation, yeah. that does make it stand out even a little bit more as well. So I will, I will say one of my favourite ones of the reverse where um, someone came to us asking for something or for photos and we are able to spot a detail that I don't think would have been picked up otherwise was I think the 94 HRT Commodore that Craig Lowndes ran at Adelaide when that car was being restored. So on that weekend, the three factory Commodores ran a different Holden logo to what they had at any point at, in their history. Hadn't run at any time you earlier in 94. Windscreen, windscreen banner and on the rear wing. Stretching my memory, but I think on the rear wing as well. Yeah. So it was an italicized version of the Holden logo, different to what they ran in 95, different what, to what they'd run at any other point in 94. This is And the why, detail's correct on the car now. This is why if you're restoring a race car, you need to contact us because we have amazing photo archives and photo libraries and vision libraries too of various archive races and things like that. If you want to get your stuff right and you can't find the – because a lot of these teams have kept the – or the signage companies have kept Mm. the original files. Dougie Brumby from Sign Zone has all the original files from all the liveries of all the teams that he's done over those years. So it's a case of dial up the file get the vinyl all printed up and then wrap it and ta-da, there it is. But um, if you do have an historic race car, contact us via the website. If we can help you, we will. If we can't, we can't. We might be able to send you somewhere that can. Shannon Lambert, who's a regular, excluding Richie Stanaway, which drivers have achieved both a Sandown and Bathurst win, that's the Enduros, before a full-time win that later drove full-time? So instead of relying on the memory bank or the eyesight to go through the books, of course, we asked our resident data engineer, Shane Rogers. And we will twist you and I. I'll grab one arm, you grab the other arm, and we're going to twist, and he is going to come onto the podcast in 2024 and deliver his favourite stats of all time. I can't wait for him to hear this. 
<laughs> and fuck, he's just heard be this he on the podcast out. over yeah. his holiday and <laughs> has just driven off the road uh, uh, at, the, at the moment. So please straighten your car up. You're coming into the studio next year for this. Anyway, Shannon, Shane said your question is awesome. And first, you need to first he looked at the people who'd won Sandown and Bathurst that hadn't won any other touring car championship race. Clearly, some of those weren't full time drivers. John Goss is on this list. He never he he never won a touring car championship race. So he won the Sandown Enduro in seventy two mm. and Bathurst in seventy four and eighty five. Yes, but never a round of the touring car championship. He probably won a South Pacific touring car race. Yeah, somewhere in that early hard top era. At a so guess, the Tasman maybe. Sporting era. Yeah, but still, you know, Australian touring car championship is what we're talking about mm. here. So, so it's a it's a list of seven drivers. So there's John Goss, Tony Roberts, 69 Bathurst winner with Colin Bond. And the 68 Sandown winner with Bob Watson. Correct. Uh, John French. Oh, yeah. He won with Moffat in 69 at Sandown, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And, of course, 81 at Bathurst, Bathurst. With, yep. Yep. with DJ. Uh, Skippy Parsons. Oh, yeah. He won Sandown with Jeff Brabham. Who is also on this list. And he won Bathurst with David Brabham. He did. Yeah. Uh, Greg Hansford also. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, of course, Richie Stanaway. Oh, now, hang on a minute. Greg Hansford, oh, of course, 88 Sandown with Moffat, Ains yes. and Sierra. Yep. Yeah. And then Richie. So Richie's got a chance, though, here. Richie does. Next year, 2024, to get off this list. He does. Hmm. Um, Good there question. Are, and if you look through history, there's also people who did the double and then went on to win a touring car championship race. Uh-huh. Uh, Larry Perkins. Yeah, he, he got his that, – that's pretty apt for Larry for his order of importance yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a whole heap of Bathurst and Sandown wins and eventually won a touring car championship race in 94. Uh, Greg Murphy as well. Oh, of course, yeah. He won the Enduros in 96 before he'd had a championship round start. Yep. And Kevin Bartlett. KB. Yeah. 65 for Sandown, 74, 74 for, for Bathurst. Bathurst. And then 80, 80 in the Camaro. Camaro. Yeah, okay. Nice. Well done, Shane. You keep doing that stuff and you'll be on a podcast before you know it, before you know <laughs> it. Saren Thatch, we've got to thank Saren. Big fan of the sleuth. Yeah. Comes to open nights. We see him at the racetrack. He's one of the – see him posting on socials and firing in questions. One of the happiest, most affable blokes that we deal with and see around the supercars. So, Saren, a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank you for your support. We love having our regular sleuthers who follow what we do. His question, Will, mm-hmm. would the drop your worst round points concept work today? He can recall it was used back in 2005. I think it was used for a couple of years in a row there in that early to mid-2000s at some point. Mm. But yes or no? Uh, well, we nearly found out. Because oh, yes. for the last few years, there's been a provision in the in the rules that if a driver had to miss a round due to COVID, due to testing positive to COVID nineteen, uh, it would become a drop your worst round championship for everyone. Yeah, so but that's um, coming out of the rule book. I think at the end of this year, isn't it, it is. So, um, hmm. yeah, it would have been interesting. As I think I might have mentioned on Castrol Motorsport News, if if someone had come down with COVID coming into Adelaide. Now, that that would have caught that would have that would have impacted the points not as much as you mm. might have thought but there would have been an impact there. Uh, Will Tatnell asks. Oh, so oh, did you like it? Would you be up for? Oh, it? Oh yeah. Um, no, too no, way not. too confusing. I remember when it was a thing because you had the points and then you had the adjusted points and then there was. I can't remember the. I haven't looked up the formats before we sat down to do this, but there was a year where it was you drop your worst round after Bathurst. Yeah. 
I feel like that was, and then oh, it was just so hard. I to feel report. like that was 06. Like if, if you're the media trying to report on here's championship points, yeah, but it's not really because on the adjusted points, I'm like, oh, yeah, nah, nah, no, 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 no good, no good, not a fan. No. Will Tatnell, hey guys, got a chassis question for you. Does the DJR EF6 still exist? And if so, where is it and what sort of life did it, did it have? P.S. It turns out I'm a distant relative to George Tatnell from the sprint car world. I always wonder. Yeah. Whenever I see Will Tatnell's name on our yeah. Q&As, I do wonder, is he related to Brooke or George? Well, Lo and behold, we like have our answer. Be. Looks like he might be. EF6 does exist. Um, that was one of the lightweight EF Falcons, wasn't it? The car that Dick Johnson debuted mm. in 95 in the Touring Car Championship. Was that at Oran Park? The last yeah, round? I think that was the only lightweight one they yeah, actually they built. Got through. Yeah. There was a full body shell, lightweight panels and stuff, but yeah. in terms of full lighter gauge body shells, that was the only one that they built. And that's one of the two that ended up with Mike Newton overseas in the UK. It is back in Australia. It's been part of a bit of a long-term restoration project to have that car back. I'm not sh- quite sure where it's up to. At the moment, haven't seen it for a little while. That might be a project for, for next year for us to have a look into. Um, next question comes from a man who, by the way, if you're in Ballarat and you hear Power FM, you hear this guy regularly, Lachlan Mansell. Uh, what is the lowest championship position that a full-time driver's finished in a season in which they won a race? It's a lot to take in, but he's given us an example here that we can work with. So Mark Winterbottom won a race this year, but he only finished 15th in the championship by the end of the season. So the lowest championship position that a full-time driver's finished in a season in which they actually won a race. Is that is that a record or is there someone who's been lower down that's won a race? Uh, there, it's it's not a record. And it's funny that, that, that that's, the, uh, that's the example he cites because Frosty actually had a bit of um, a few friends back there that were in the same boat. Matt Payne finished 14th in the championship with one win. And Jack LeBrock finished 12th in the championship this year with and it was, one win. Jack LeBrock was odds on for a top 10 all year to be in the championship and then just fell out right there at the end. Yes. Uh, so in terms of when you think of... This, this is another reason why Shane's going to be on the podcast next <laughs> yes, year, isn't it? Because this it is, is his work. This it is truly work. is. Um, if I said the name David Bernard to you... Now, are we talking he won a race? Oh, yes. He sure did 2004 win a race. 2004 Simmons Plains. He won a race a week after it happened. And finished where in the championship? 20-something. 30th. 30th? He did miss a round. He missed surface Because he drove year. the champ car. He, yes, he was He was at surface. He was just busy. Yep, yep. And actually had a pretty good race in the champ car as it worked out. Wow. Yeah. That's, of course, the race at Tassie that had the safety car weirdness and was awarded the win on the day and then had it unawarded and then reawarded. Oh, uh, it wasn't it was. awarded on the day, I'm pretty no, sure. No, no, got, it got given to him in the aftermath. Mm. Yeah, it was a safety car poo fight. Yeah. yeah. There, were, um, there were a few other examples that were a bit lower down than Frosty's 15th. You think back to the early car of the future years with the results, the, the, the one-off wins from Nissan and from mm. Mercedes throughout the years. Uh, James Moffat finished 18th in the 2013 championship standings after his win at Winton. Lee Holdsworth finished 20th in 2014 after also winning at Winton. Uh, Nick Perkat, 2016 Clipsal 500 winner, went on to finish 18th in the championship for LDM. Okay, so winner bottom is actually not, there's plenty. There's quite a few. Uh, Dean Canto winning at Wanneroo in 06 went on to finish 17th. Oh, yeah, reverse grid race after Radisic went around on the last corner. Yep, and if we want to be really pedantic, Peter mm. Dorman in 1993. Ah, uh, yeah. However, 
he actually finished 10th in the championship. So he's ahead. The two-litre cars Foste. got good points in, yes. in those days for being in the same race after having their own race for the first round. Nice one. Nice one. Luke Dixon, what numbers will Brown likely to run next year? I'd expect Brock to retain 88 and Triple Eight to be reserved for Lowndes and the Enduros. Are we likely to see the 38 that Will used in his Super 2 days, given his numbers used in Formula 4 and 86s are already allocated? It's an interesting point. We were talk- I was talking, actually talking about this with Shane a couple of days ago in the office. and Well, not a couple of days ago from when you're listening to it, but a couple of days ago from when we recorded this. Um, honestly, not sure. The 38 that Luke cites, that was actually an Eggleston. That's more of an Eggleston motorsport Yeah, number. other drivers used that. Yeah. yeah, rather than a number that Will used. And as you say, in Formula 4 and 86s, he used, what, 31 at one point? I think 30. I remember because I did the 86s mm. when he was driving. It was 31. Cars galore to Woomba. Yeah, um, which James Golding runs. for the Browns yeah. at the moment. <laughs> yes. Um, and I feel like he used 23 in Formula Ford oh, see, or something like I, that. I didn't follow that stuff closely yeah. enough at the time to know Which what, is another premier racing number. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. You'd think it'd have an eight in it, wouldn't you? Or do, do you reckon they just go, what do you want, Will? It's on, it's up, which it's is yours. the other question. What would he want? I'm really curious as to if he's given free reign to choose whatever number he wants, mm. what he actually picks. Yeah. It's a wide world of numbers out there. It is. He can't run four eights, though. No, he can't fit that in. No. Uh, and a, a singular eight is taken. Yeah. It yeah, would be a bit of a battle to get that off Brad- Bradley. Yeah, Bradley's had that for, for quite some time. So, yeah, if it's not 88 or triple eight, and it's definitely not eight, it's, it might be something with an eight in it. Who knows? Mm. Who knows? Oh, well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Brady McIntyre, and this is a question for you, I feel. Any plans to release full Sandown 500 races on DVD? Would love to rewatch the races in full from the 90s. Um, no, not really. Um, full races, well, look, probably need to go back a step. Um, there will be very little, if any, material released on DVD for retail moving forward. Um, the big stores no longer stock them, which basically cuts the distribution and, you know, the sales that underpin the volume of them. So, I mean, even just this year to do that extra um, Seven Sport Magic Moments DVD that we released with some more Amaru stuff was very much a, a small time project. You can only get it through us and through Chevron Marketing Services. You can't get it in stores. Um, and with those Sandown 500s, full versions of those races just don't exist at broadcast quality level. Because remember there was ABC for a couple of years, then a stretch of SBS, I've asked SBS. They don't have the races in their in their archive. Who shot them for SBS? Because that um, wouldn't have been in-house, would it? Uh, or would it? I think it might have been. Yeah, but right. I'm not quite sure. I'm not Because I also sure. did like the Sandown Six Hour in that era, and I presume yeah. the Winton Six Hour? Uh, I think Winton might have been different. I think Winton was a Channel 10 Victoria deal or something oh, yeah, like that. But there would, have been, a, was on, there would yeah. have been a production company that was tied into it. Yeah. But, and then, of course, Channel 10 did it in 96 and the rights for the 97 and 98 races are owned by V8 Supercars. Hmm. Of course, it was a Vesco at the time. So, um, yeah, I don't think you'll see any of that stuff, Brady, unfortunately, in a retail, from a retail perspective. And then you've got the other issue too, that there's um, lots of that Channel 10 era V8 Supercar stuff that's still at Channel 10, and I'm not quite sure what level of that that Supercars have got in their archives now because... Tenor, obviously, for a time there, they were the rights holder again from free to air. They're not anymore. So I know from my time with doing the 10 broadcast that there was from that 97 to 06 era, pretty much all that stuff was in the archive 
digitally at Channel 10. So whether there's been a deal for supercars to get their hands on it, they own the rights to it, but oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, possession is nine-tenths of yeah, uploading it. Yeah, and there was, there was a bit of a blue, I think, about that the first time when Channel 10 lost the rights and Seven got them in 07, that Channel 10 had all these old races and all this vision um, and supercars may have said, well, hey, we got the rights to that. And they said, yeah, but it's our tape stock. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, issues of television, all that sort of fun. So, uh, um, unfortunately not, Brady, but you know how much we love the Sandown 500 and it's a massive anniversary race in 2024. It's the 50th running and it's the 60th anniversary. So um, if ever there's a time for us to twist some people's arms to let some Sandown stuff out of the vault, it's definitely 2024. Jason Hall, has an Australian Touring Car Championship slash Supercars Championship ever been won without the winner ever winning a race all round? And also, what is the lowest average finishing position for a series champion? Two-part question. First part's got to be no. Well, let's you've got to split the two things. Yes. There's never been one that hasn't won a race in that season. Yes. It's commonly referred to incorrectly that Rick Kelly won the championship without winning a race. Yeah, that is but incorrect. that's incorrect. He did win a race. He won a race on the Gold Coast. He just didn't win a round. At the time when the round is what determined the podium. Mm. So he didn't win a round that year though, did he? No. So he doesn't have a round winner's trophy from that season. He's got the trophy that matters though for the championship. He sure does. So has anyone... So we've kind of answered then, haven't we? Yeah. The closest... The other... Close candidates for that. Dick Johnson won the 84 title with one race win. He uh, won Surface that Paradise. single race Single rounds. race rounds. Yep. And Rick's predecessor, Russell Ingle. Won, oh, the previous year. Yeah, the previous year. Won Did one round, two races. Two races, yeah. One at Oran Park and one at Wanneroo. Yeah. 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 And I think he took the Oran Park round overall. Is that a one race deal? No, it was two. Yeah, well, he won, I'm pretty sure that's three, the one he two. won as oh, an okay. overall. Yep. Lowest averaging finishing position for a champion. So... Um, it's Russell again, 2005, 7.1. Really? We think of him as the Lowest averaging race finishing race position. Finishing position. Wow. We, yeah. Well, he did say he was. He, he changed his strategy that year to be the accumulator and that's the ultimate proof of it, isn't it? And you think of all the other drivers. And is that just, is that an average of finishing? Not that counting is an average of finishing, not counting non-finishers. Yeah, okay. I always feel like with average finishing position that you could have had this stellar finishing Average, mm. but failed to finish eight races in the year, and therefore you're nowhere. Yeah. So, but, but also, yeah. funnily enough, DNF is not a divisible number. No, no, almost. Uh, the Which other makes way it challenging. Could, yeah, unless you allocated it as a, uh, a number. But anyway, that's a whole other matter. But yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state. And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Okay, so Matthew D is up next. With teams building new chassis already for next year, which will be identical in spec to their current ones, what will they be wanting to achieve with a new chassis? It's got to be more than a new car smell. Haha, <laughs> by the way, love the podcast. Well, Erebus have two very specific aims in, <laughs> in building new cars for 24-24. One, they want to preserve the championship winner. And two, they want to build one that's not quite in the same current spec as what car nine is Double after Adelaide. Double new car smell. Yeah. So Erebus is building two, two new cars. One, they want to preserve Brody Kostecki's championship winning car. And 
Will Brown's car was bent so badly in Adelaide that they, yes, they got it fixed to be able to race, but they it want to race safe. perfect cars. It was yeah, safe. it was safe. It wasn't unsafe, but it wasn't to the level of that perfection they that they want. Yeah, so Jack LeBrock, here's a fresh new car. Welcome yes. to Erebus. Yes. Good to see you again. Uh, Groves are building another one. Triple um, A are building two mm-hmm. because their previous two Red Bull cars from the end of the year have been allocated with, with owners. Um I'm not sure if people have caught up with this, but the Van Gisbergen Bathurst winning chassis, which started the life its life as the super, um, super cheap wildcard car, mm. is going to New Zealand. Yes. Quinny, Tony Quinn, the partner in Triple Eight, is going to take it over to NZ, and I think it might make an appearance at the historic GP at Topol uh, in mid-January. It sure is. It's going to be pretty cool. Not so, sure if it's going to be running or not, but as as I talked about with Murph on the last episode of Castrol Motorsport News, Shane didn't get to blow the guards off it, so it's at least in <laughs> semi-decent condition. Do you reckon Quinny will have a dip? Oh, well, it's his car, his so car. we could. You do whatever you like. His car, really. his team. Yeah, I think the other thing for a lot of these teams – so. They've all got a slightly different reason. Hmm. But Erebus is a unique situation. Triple Eight's two cars were um, – there's been deals done on them. And the other element to all this is that for some other teams, they kind of need a spare. Hmm. Like they've got two, but they've had the remnants of a chassis sitting there, but now they can actually turn it into a ready-to-go car yes. or, or closer to anyway. Jack Palmer, I'm going to just fire this one in here. This is our second-last question of the year, by the way. What should happen to the 500 when Sandown closes? Should it go somewhere else or just end? I think it is going somewhere else. I think it's already been confirmed as heading off to the Bend Motorsport Park. Well, they've after just said it's year. going to be an enduro. Yeah. They haven't said that the Sandown 500 won't be on. They haven't said that the Bend will be a 500. They've just said yeah, it'll be an enduro. Point. Could there be three enduros in 25? It would be good. It would be good to see the series return to more than just two. It was great to see them to return to two mm, this year. True. That, that was fantastic to see the Sandown 500 back on. So if Sandown's not the 500, should there be a 500? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Where should it be? That's an extremely Where good question. Where could it be is the well, logical question. Not Phillip Island. Let's not no, have, hold work. one of those that, at Phillip Island ever work. again. Those races weren't good. They had some exciting last lap or two finishes. Mm-hmm. But they weren't good races. No. That track spreads the field out. And that's not good. No. Uh, Queensland Raceway? Been there, done it. Better facilities now than they true. Did, that is had true. at the time. But, I mean, the only other one in terms of the venue, the track, City Motorsport Park. Could you imagine a 500 that finishes under lights? Yeah, yeah. I see what, I see what you're talking about there. What that would be good. What if it, what if it started good? at mid-late afternoon and it finished at... Seven, eight o'clock at night. That'd be a good point of difference. Hmm. Yeah. I just like to be different. Just like to be different. Yeah. Hmm. Um, And the last 500k enduro that was there was quite good. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I I think it was the first touring car race there in 1990. Nissan 500. Yes. The race that Neil Crompton tried to get into various cars and still couldn't get a start and watched (laughs) on the couch. The Holden Racing Team contracted driver who practised the Nissan GDR, practised the Brock Mobile Sierra and, got told and still ended up on his twice. freckle on the couch on Saturday to watch it. Yeah. Oh, gold. Uh, Tim Gregory, our last question of the year. Since he's dispart- departing the sport, what is the history of the first chassis that Shane Van Gisbergen tested as a 17-year-old at Queensland Raceway? Who owns it now and do they increase in value eventually as a milestone piece of history even if he didn't actually race the car? Well, Tim, this one's actually quite valuable on its own without Shane's input, funnily enough. And, and I think the fact that Shane Van Gisbergen first tested this as his first V8 supercar drive 
given what this car achieved that he drove, which was a Stone Brothers Racing Falcon BA, uh, Shane first testing it kind of is a low priority on the overall list of this car because at the time it was Jonathan Webb's development series car, hmm. the, num- the number 94 car, which I was doing the TV at the time, remember it. Um, but mm-hmm. before it was Jonathan Webb's development series car, it just happens to be that that was the Marcus Ambrose championship winner from 2003, 2004, that won a pile of stuff and didn't quite win the championship, though, in 2005. So um, Shane testing it kind of fades into the background. It's a cool little part of its history, mm. but by no means is it its priority piece of overall history. So it's increased in value, absolutely. It's a milestone piece of history without Shane Van Gisbergen racing it. No, exactly. And that car, as we touched on just before, has has been restored back to its um, back to its Marcus Ambrose Pertec livery, two thousand four. Yes, which next year the twentieth anniversary of Marcus's second and last V eight Supercar Championship win for SBR in the number one Pertec Falcon BA, part of the Muscle Car Warehouse collection. Now, these days, that car. So there you go, Tim. That car is still around, but it just doesn't look how it looked when uh, Shane wheeled out. What was that? Two thousand mid two thousand seven. I think early so. Yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah, that's because of course James Courtney had raced that car for a bit the previous year as and well and crashed it and crashed it. Well, he had a crack at. He got a brand new fresh car, didn't he? In 06. Yes. Crashed it. Didn't they wheel out at the Adelaide? Ambrose car for the Grand Prix and it got crashed, crashed it? Yeah. <laughs> he he was tried consistent. hard in the early days. He was then. consistent, yeah, Jesse, yeah. back in the day. Um, Thanks, Tim, for that question. Thanks to everyone on this app, everyone over the course of the year. Um, it has been a massive year once more for the V8 Sleuth podcast and the Motorsport Podcast Network. Uh, a quick couple of thank yous uh, to Will for all of your efforts. Well bold, well done. Um, Q&A apps and some of the other stuff that we've done over the journey, well bold to you. To AJ Hawkins, who's done a super job editing the pod right throughout the course of 2023. Thank you to AJ. He's done plenty of stuff behind the scenes. He Shane really Rod- made us sound good. He made us sound good <laughs> sound when we sounded bad. Yeah. And he made us sound good when we were trying to be good anyway. Uh, Shane Rogers, we'll get him on the pod, but he's been a big part of bringing a lot of the answers to the questions on the VH Sleuth podcast. We've had some great guests this year, some chats that were really good fun. Um, I've sat at James Courtney's kitchen bench. I've sat in Tim Edwards, now former office at Tickford Racing. And someone else. It'll be someone It'll else's be someone office else's, soon. I'm not quite sure whose office it's going to be yet, but it's it's going to be somebody else. Um, a whole pile of chats with a whole pile of people over the course of the year. We've got plenty more lined up and coming back to you in 2024. Quick thank you to the team at Bowden's Own Premium Car Care for joining us in the second half of the year. We really appreciate their support. Um, they're a huge part of the automotive industry here in Australia. They keep stuff clean and they make awesome products. And the best part is they make them in Australia, Australian mm. owned, Australian produced. Um, get it from Repco, any of the other auto stores, support Australian. They are a great mob at the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And if you haven't heard the Dan Bowden episode, if you want to hear someone froth over cars for about <laughs> an hour, that's Dan. He is absolutely all in Dan Bowden. It was great to sit down with him when I went to Queensland a bit earlier in the year. Maybe, bra- maybe play it at half speed. Though. Yeah, slow it down. Slow <laughs> You'll it down. take it in a bit easier. You reckon I get excited sometimes. Uh, he definitely gets excited. Brad Owen, the National Motor Racing Museum, he actually was on the pod this he year was too. in Bathurst Week. It was a really popular episode as well. To Castrol for supporting uh, not just this pod, but, of course, the Castrol Motorsport News pod. It'll be back as well in 2024. I've got a few other plans 
up our sleeve just quietly in podcast land next year. We'll reveal all of that next year, but thank you most of all to you, the listener. We get to hear from you on socials. We've seen you at some events and tracks over the course of the year. It's probably, of all the things we do, the thing we get asked about the most, the podcast. Who are we going to have on upcoming episodes? Can I ask a question? Um, I drive all around the countryside as a driver. I'm driving trucks or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. We really appreciate that you love what we do and that you listen to not just, well, the pods that interest you, but that I think some of the pods we've done this year have brought new light to people that maybe they didn't know anything about, maybe they didn't want to know about them, um, and really I think we like to inform, educate, and entertain. I think we've ticked the boxes this year. Totally agreed. I mean, I would not have no- – I didn't know anything about Steve Owen, really, until this year. Well, exactly. Yeah, I wasn't a, on my own. We called him the Enigma of Supercars for yeah. a very good reason. So if you haven't listened to all the podcasts over the course of the year and you're going to miss us over summer, we're going to take some time off, but we'll be back in January. Uh, have a listen to some of the episodes in the files. We've just done a two-parter with Darren Hossack. And in early 2024, when we roll back in all this, I've got a really special chat, uh, taking a look at an amazing piece of history, the Alan Moffat Hope Trans Am Mustang. David Hassel's done an amazing book, and he takes us into some of the great backstories in the book, and not in the book, of one of the most famous cars in Australian motorsport history. So that'll kick us off for 2024, but this has got us done for 2023. Thanks for tuning in. We thoroughly appreciate it. Hope you've had a great Christmas. Happy holidays and happy new year. We'll chat to you in 2024. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego the number two, and oil, and find out.